it's obvious that when these two team up, the result is magical. This week in tennis. And we brought this dynamic duo together once again. Welcome to This Week in Tennis. Welcome to This Week in Tennis. My name is Phil Nasons and my radio partner all the way in Scotland, Craig Doyle, are here to talk tennis with you today, specifically the Miami Open. We might even take a look at some underdogs or possible underdogs for the clay court season. You can find us daily at CSN Sports Radio at 7 p.m. Eastern. You can find this show on every podcast catcher, also at philnasonshow.com. Craig, what's going on, my friend? How's things? Yeah, you know, I don't want to say it, but like it's the same as it has been the last few months. We've not really got any changes in situation here, so still primarily indoors most of the time, staying local, following the, the guidelines set out. And uh, just looking forward to the end of this month where they're going to lift some of the restrictions on us. And, you know, I won't have to sit in and watch tennis all day. Yeah, you're very lucky because you get to watch tennis all day. Where I live, they don't show the tennis at all except for majors. And only if ESPN or some other cable company carries it. Because in my area, tennis channel is gone. So... Basically, if you ever want to find out about tennis, you either have to stumble across it at a lesson when you're a kid or you just don't hear about it. And that's why American tennis is really probably in trouble. Anyway, (laughs) we aren't in trouble, Craig. We are now, for this event, 17-6 and publicly with this show. That's a pretty good record for this tournament, all things considered, Craig. Yeah, it's been not too bad. I think we had a lot of success in the early rounds and some of the maybe more surprise results in the later rounds have caught us out and we've we've not had a we didn't have much joy on our outside picks either. You know, sometimes we like to pick someone on a big price and see if we can make that cash. Um and, and we didn't really deliver on those in the early rounds. <laughs> in fact, um you know, there's, there's a few people who we thought might go out in the first round or are still playing, which is, uh, it's been a surprise to us, but it's uh, a welcome change, I guess. We're not performing badly, so no worries. We're not performing badly at all, and we are 127 and 57 on the year. That's pretty good. That means if you played $100 with every one of our picks on this show, by the way, We're talking public picks on this show, or if we throw a Twitter one up or whatever, that's pretty good. That means you made about six or seven thousand bucks from us already this season after just two tournaments, Craig. So I say we're doing pretty damn good so far this season. Yeah, I'm certainly happy with it. You know, it's been a difficult start, what with the uh, COVID situation and not really knowing who's going to be informed and who's not. Um, so I think like it's it's been a, a good start for us, and let's see if we can continue that as we transition into the clay season over the next month or so. And that's what's going to happen. And as you saw in Miami, quite a few players gave that tournament a pass. They didn't want to travel all that way. They didn't want to take part in anything there. And I suspect that'll be the same for clay. Now, we're kind of talking about that now. Because we're down to just a few matches. We're going to give you winners for those. But when you talk about players, Craig, who have really amazed 
Sarah Sorabis Tormo from Spain has definitely improved her fortune and her lot over the last 10 or 12 days or so, right? Right, yeah. She caught my eye um, earlier this year when she was playing in a, a lower-ranked tournament, um, WTA tournament, where she actually won the title. Um, she beat Eugenie Bouchard in the final, and it was one of those sort of there was an expectation that Bouchard was just going to wipe her away and she didn't. And it, she caught my eye and I thought, mm, you know, this girl, she's uh, won a tournament now. She's 24, 25 years old. She's been around a little bit, but I saw the game that she was playing and I thought, you know, that could translate really well if she's got the confidence to take that into the bigger tournaments. So we've been riding on the back of that success of this one. And, you know, we've done pretty well in that. She, she was a little bit un unlucky to come up against um, Andrescu the other day. It went uh, three sets and she, she struggled a little bit in the third set. But uh, I, I thought that she's had a real good tournament. She's got a really good game that's going to be suited towards the clay courts. And I think we're going to be picking up on that name again um, in a few weeks' time. You know... What I was happiest about, Craig, is that this girl was plus money in every one of her events this week. And here's the strange thing, is that her career, WTA record is 306 and 200. She has never had, or I take that back, in 2017 was her only losing season since 2015 when she began. She's won almost $2 million in prize money. And yet no one seems to talk about her, Craig. Maybe we've made a mistake by bringing her up today because I am damn sure she's not going to be that overwhelming underdog that she has enjoyed and we have enjoyed, especially during this event, Craig. She's probably not. There's going to be more people more aware of her. But um, the one thing about the WTA Tour is there's not really that many stars on the WTA Tour there's not many household names. I mean, Naomi Osaka, Serena Williams, of course, uh, Venus Williams, time's gone by. But if you're looking at the, the top 10 players on the, the WTA Tour, um, and, and these bookmakers are looking at the rankings to, to figure out the, the prices they're going to offer. If I said to you, Svetlina, most people you speak to, um, particularly around Europe, um, in, in this area of Europe, probably in the United States where you are, Australia, they're probably not going to know who Svetlina is unless they follow a lot of tennis. And, and she's, you know, top 10 ranked player for a long time. So, it, so when you get players ranked outside of that top 20 on the women's tour, a lot of people have got no idea who they are. So that's, you know, there's a lot of value in there if you can find someone who's hit a bit of form like um, Sara Soribis Tormo has. And I think we're going to see quite a bit of that this year. We're going to see players who... Maybe you haven't heard of them, and, and they, they're you know Spaniards, Italians, Argentinians, really suited to this clay court style over the next few months, and, and we're going to pick those players out, and uh, hopefully the bookmaker's not going to pick the same ones out that we are because they're, they're not going to be the top-ranked players. So we'll get some value on that going forward. Absolutely. You know where else you're going to get value is now pay attention to this, folks, because this is very important. These are the things that Craig and I talk about privately, and we're going to talk about a little bit publicly. Now, this tournament, she played five matches, okay? 
And every one of those matches went five sets, or three sets, five sets, sorry, three sets. That means she's a fighter. That also means that she has her yips, but she knows how to overcome those yips. She lost the second set, one, two, three, three out of those five matches after winning the first set. So she's a great starter. So if you get opportunities to get, like, say, prop bets on this young lady, take her to win the first set. She usually does. She's probably going to lose the second set. And the third set is going to be dicey, like last night against Bianca Andreescu. That was just dicey. But listen to the people that she beat. She beat three seeded players in this event. Jennifer Brady, Elena Ribikina, and Ange Jabur. Now, Ange Jabur, I was all over that and cashed pretty well. But unfortunately, I had her again the next night against Andriesco, and she lost. So there you have it. But at the end of the day, if you can get this girl at plus money, and I think you still can, especially with the American books, you got to ride this thing all the way, especially on Clay, Craig, right? Clay is probably where she is the best. Yeah, she's going to be good on clay. She defends pretty well. Um, she moves pretty well on the baseline. It's a bit like watching David Ferrer or maybe as a women's comparison, Sarah Rani from maybe about 10 years ago. She's uh, going to run down the ball. She's going to make their opponent play a lot more balls than they want to play. And she's actually quite capable of coming in at the net as well. She looks like she's probably a strong volleyer. So um, no, not traditionally a clay court um, skill. But um, it'll add more to Arsenal, and I th- I think like Clay's going to be good for her. And just to reinforce on that point you made about looking at betting on the over under on the on the sets and games, you know, looking for someone who's going to win in three sets. When we come back to the hard court season, I'm going to apply the exact same logic you've just given for uh, Cerebius Tomo to Coco Gauff because she's another player who wins a lot of her games in three sets and there's going to be a lot of value betting on the match going to three sets and her winning in three sets not two um and you could you know i i don't recommend anyone who's out there just have a look at the patterns just from the previous tournaments if a player plays three sets in more than half of their games you're going to see a lot of value in taking that bet up instead of just betting on the win you know you, you can bump that price up going the three sets you make yourself a lot of cash really, really easily. You know, that's just it. You're right, because these lines can be atrocious at times. They don't work in our favor often, especially tennis. That's why when you listen to this show, we strongly emphasize the first two rounds of a major. Um, we strongly emphasize the first round of a tournament such as this where the field is 96 players. And we usually can find value in a regular tour event in the first or second round, unless, of course, an underdog comes through. Like Craig said, you're going to see a lot of them, so you want to pay attention to these players and their statistics. Now, I don't know of any tennis betting statistics available, but this is a gal who is going to probably dominate. Now, on Clay, you know, one thing she's very good at is being patient, Craig. And and that's a key thing on Clay, too, because you have to be patient. That's what my friend tells me all the time. Be patient. And I agree with her. But this is a girl you're going to see a lot more of 
And like I said, I'm amazed that she was on plus money so much, but then again, she was the underdog. And like Craig said, a lot of these underdogs might not be underdogs. You know, and some of these underdogs might just be dogs. You know, you have to take that into consideration also, that they could be dogs. Now, while we're looking at the women's side of things, you know, Svitolina, you mentioned her. She played pretty well. She was a huge underdog last night against Barty, but I had to pull the trigger. But one of the things that I think about with underdogs, Craig, is that you can ride one too far. You know, some of these players are great in the first or second round, but then fitness catches them, nerves catches them, they regress back to who they are. So one of the things you want to look for with an underdog is a player with a winning record on the tour, such as Sorebos Torma, correct? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I just can't disagree with that at all. Um, also, you know, in terms of recent form, look at the last couple of months of play on the same surface. I know we're moving into clay, so that's just change of surface. You, the patterns won't develop for a couple of weeks, but uh, look at how they, they tend to play on that surface historically. Look at how they've been playing the last few weeks. Those are the, the big indicators that you could find someone who's ranked 50, 60 in the world who's starting to put a few good tournaments together playing really well on the surface and then you know they draw maybe a few seats in the the 20s and early 30s those are the kind of matches where you're going to get really good prices and and you're going to cash in on someone who's just hit form and is playing some real good tennis um tennis is such a game where form is is such an important thing maybe more so than any other sport you know, if someone's just hitting the ball well at a particular time, they're moving well, their confidence is high, it doesn't matter if you're ranked 60 or 70 in the world or you're in the top 20. It's going to be a difficult game for that top 20 player if they're playing against someone who's getting results and playing some good tennis. So that's where we, that's where we go when we're looking to get the good prices and make the money. And that's just right. You know, you hit the nail on the head. Confidence matters in tennis. You know, you could be the best player in the world and have instances where your confidence slips and it messes you up. You see that more on the men's side than the women's. You know, they're trying to start an association based on guys just like that who uh, underachieve and play mediocre tennis and don't get the results because they don't have the confidence. And that's why they're sticking their hand out wanting for more money. That's the whole bottom line. But this girl had plenty, you know, like Craig said, she came into this event fresh off a of victory over Eugenie Bouchard. I don't know if that's the greatest accomplishment on earth, but it's an accomplishment nonetheless. And it gave that lady confidence. And then she came out and smoked Jennifer Brady in the third set. And this is the other thing. Pay attention to this. Those wins in her fourth or third set wins, 6-1 over Jennifer Brady. 6-2 over Ribikina, 6-1 over Jabur, all players ranked much higher than her. Again, confidence. Playing that third set, she's won matches in those third sets. And she knows that if she gets it to three, she's got a pretty good chance because she's pretty fit. That allows her confidence, Craig. Good call on that, by the way. Confidence. And then on the flip side, you can tell the ones who aren't very confident. Like Sloane Stevens, for example. 
She doesn't have, she has false confidence. She comes out there like the queen of the tennis and gets dethroned quickly. That's a player who usually is on the favorite side of the money line and who doesn't perform well. So that's another person. But I don't think you're going to have to worry about her for the clay court season. Do you think she's going to go overseas? Difficult to tell. Um, you know, a lot of players will be looking at the how well they perform on those surfaces um, and then looking at the COVID situation in the countries that they're going to. Um, we don't know, like, what the restrictions are. Like, even next week, there's events which have got spectators. There's events which don't have spectators. I'm sure there'll be events which, are, you know, have lockdown um in place where players have got to self-isolate for a number of days before they can go to the tournament, etc. So th- there's going to be a lot of complications in terms of travel. Uh, a player like Stevens may look at the clay court and think, well, you know, this is not really my surface. And, and a lot of American players may do this, you know, like so John Isner, etc. They may just go, I don't play particularly well over in, in Europe on the clay courts. I'm not really going to bother going over there to, to sit in the COVID restrictions. Uh, in the lockdowns and and then go out and play one match and lose because, you know, the surface just doesn't suit the way they play tennis or, or whatever it is. So I think we, we may see uh, a larger number of withdrawals from particularly hardcore specialists who really don't favor the clay. And you, you'll be looking at the guys and girls who they're not the super fit defensive players. Um, they don't hit with the big top spin forehand. It'll be the players who tend to hit flat, can't hit the ball through the court, and don't want to play extended points, who may look at it and say, you know what, the clay court season's not for me. Nope, it probably isn't, but one person who will most likely play is Corey Goff, also known as Coco Goff, a player that we've been good about and not so good about. We see good things and not so much good things. But here's another one. Now, she comes in as a favorite more often because of her name. You know, I I don't think that a lot of these guys that set these lines actually watch tennis. But here's another girl who's never had a losing record in any of her three seasons, Craig. She's 11-5 this season. She's 12-8 last season. 29-15 the season before playing shortened seasons due to the fact that she's under the age of 18, not to mention the pandemic. When you see this girl, what do you see about her and the clay that can help her, Craig? Because this is a girl who most likely won't be an underdog early, but afterwards she probably will. Uh, the fact that she's not got a particularly great forehand might help her on the clay because other places, if your forehand lands short in the court against someone who can hit hard and flat, that ball disappears um, on the clay, you can get to it. You can run it down if you're able to play defensively. So I think she might get a little bit more out of the forehand on the clay because, just because it's it's not as a strong shot for her. Um, you know, obviously, we're talking about she's got to keep it in, but she's going to get away with hitting it short a lot more often. Um, I know she's not got the best record on the clay, particularly uh Last year, she played a couple of events. She she had a couple of wins and then uh, disappeared in the second round to what we would consider to be more traditional clay court players. I think she lost to Muguruza. Um, she also lost to uh, Roland Garros to an Italian player. So 
you know, we, we look at that and we, we'd probably say that the, uh, the, the clay court game's not going to be her thing. But I, I think there's a lot to take. Like, she's still a young player there. Um, she's got the opportunity to, to go out and, and play a little bit freely on the clay. You know, we're not saying that she's going to be in contention to play in semifinals and finals on the clay court. I mean, she's not really doing that on the hard court yet. But I, I think um, when when she goes to the likes of Roland Garros, she could target winning the first three games, see if she can make it to this, the second week. I mean, that, that would be a massive success for her at her age, and, and given that she's traditionally a hard court player. So... I think there's there's definitely an upside, and, and we will have to monitor how she does in her first couple of smaller tournaments before we, we look at the, the Grand Slam in Paris. But uh, if there's positive signs that she's won a couple of matches, I, I would like to say that she could win three matches in Paris. And if maybe she that's does, just been a bit ambitious. Maybe. But you know what? If she does, she's probably going to get you plus money. Can you think of any other ladies... That could possibly be good money makers and underdogs for the clay court season, Craig. Before we switch to the men, off the top of my head, probably not. But I'd be looking at anyone who you know comes from any of these Mediterranean countries, Italian players, Spanish players that are not highly ranked. Um, anyone, perhaps Argentinian, you know, the, the sort of countries where your clay court tennis is in the blood. It's, it's what the kids play when they grow up. You'll find plenty of these players sitting in the, the sort of lower halves of the rankings that are almost certainly going to have uh, good clay court seasons. I, I know a lot of that is dictated by the draw, but I, I tend to try and avoid um, sort of European players uh, at Roland Garros, particularly the, the sort of Eastern European players. I mean, you know, they, they're not playing on clay courts. You you, you really want to be backing, um, you know. He, let me just throw her a name. Like Nadia Podoroska is an Argentinian player. I think she'll be interesting to watch. Um, I think a few of the Czech players are going to be interesting to watch. There's quite a few of those sitting within the top 100. Um, and, and as you go further down the rankings, um, you know, Kat, uh, Katarina Sinakova, another Czech player, 24 years old. She's going to have a decent clay game. They're not big names, but uh, you're going to see these players um, coming out there. And if they draw an American or an Australian in the early rounds, it's it's a go-to. You know, the the American player might be ranked up in the top 30, top 40, and you, you're picking someone who's ranked 90 in the world. But um, I can guarantee you that the, the, the 90th ranked player is going to be brought up to play on on this clay court surface and they're going to be really dangerous and it's going to be a good place to, to pick up some some nice little earners in the early rounds of these tournaments and that's just it that's what you're trying to do pick up some early earners i'll tell you who might be an early earner and fly under the radar because she hasn't had a whole lot of success over the last couple seasons and that's angeliki kerber now she knows how to play on clay and she also knows how to play, period. Plus, she's left-handed. She hasn't had the greatest season thus far. you know. But here's what she does. She takes out weaker players, usually. Like, she took out Zerazua in a double bagel. Six love, six love. Look for matches like that on the clay, too. Look for opportunities. Maybe not against a Spanish player, but there are players out there who you can find who don't play well on clay. You can find those stats 
on the WTA tour site. And that's a good way to look at it. Um, one of the players that I really like, though, um, honestly, is uh, I like this young Kenan girl. You know, I think you made a good call privately the other day. That she wasn't going to be able to last that one out because of uh, she's just coming back from an injury, from an appendicitis operation, and it was tough. But she's another one that I really like, and I think her losing a couple matches has made her less favorable in the eyes of the bookies. Um, I think she's going to get somewhere. Let me see. I had another one for you, Craig, and I cannot remember where I put it. Um, I just have to scroll down, but... uh, Oh, here's another one I like. It's I like Veronica Kudermatova for this fall or this spring fall. What am I doing here? Um, the other one I like is Maria Buskova. I like her as someone who can probably make me some money. I don't think Shelby Rogers is going to go over there overseas. The other one I like, you know who I like, Craig, for these early rounds and these clay court events? is Kaya Kanepi. I like her. She's not the fastest mover, but then she doesn't have to be. She's also 35. She's been around a long, long time. And she has a winning record on the Pro Tour of 525 and 299 since 2007, Craig. She's 8-3 this season, my friend. Now, she fell to Ribikina in straight sets. It was tough for her. But she's another one I like on the ladies' side of things. I think those are players who can win. And just reinforce that point again. How important is it to have a look at the winning record of these players? Because in the top 100, not everyone's got a winning record. How important does that figure in when, when you're, you know, you're picking these players? Because a winning record shows that these players know how to get it over the line. Well, that's just it. You know what else they know how to do? Overcome their bad days. That's another thing. You want to pick players and look for players who know how to overcome bad days. And a record like Kanepi has is a player who's overcome bad days. And when you can do that and beat people you're supposed to be, I'm not saying she's going to win a Grand Slam. I'm not even saying she's going to make it to the second round or the uh, the second week of a a major. But damn, She's another one that goes under the radar all the time. And she comes through for us more often than not, Craig. And that's a beautiful thing. Anybody else? Do you see any of these big names on the WTA Tour who are going to take a spin and fall maybe? Someone who could get upset? That's the other thing we look for. Are these top players that are like minus 1,200 favorites and who ain't exactly playing that great? <laughs> well, you you know uh, my feelings on the WTA tour is that any of these girls can just self uh, self destruct at almost any time. I mean, you you've seen it from even Simona Halep. You've seen it from you know one I I'm not backing anymore is Pliskova because she just lets me down regularly. Um, yeah, um, I was gonna bring her up too. Good. <laughs> yeah, you 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 know what I mean. It's um, the WTA tour is a little bit different to the men's tour. Like I. In the last 15 years, it's been very difficult to look at that men's tour and anyone in that top, I'm not even just going to say top three or top four, but even the, the top seven or eight players 
we rarely lose before the point that you expected them to lose at. So you could almost bet that David Ferrer is going to get to the quarterfinals on most tournaments. You could have bet that um, Thomas Burditch was going to get there, that Joe Wilfred Songer would be there right about at most Grand Slams. You always knew that the top three were going to get to the semifinals. Andy Murray was likely to get to the semifinals as well. So, so there's not many tournaments um, week to week that you were losing out on because the top players were going to lose. You, you knew if someone's a top player, you're not touching that match because you're not getting a price on, you know, Novak Djokovic or, or, or David Ferrer against someone who's outside the top 20. It, it was pointless. Um, but in the women's side, it tends to be a little bit more spontaneous and you can see the top seats could, could easily all disappear within the first week if things don't go well for them. Or they just don't want to be there. You know, that we're still in the middle of a pandemic and these situations where they are forced to live, where they're uh, basically stuck in their hotel, that's a tough one. You know who I, I think is going to out be outstanding the rest of the season, though? Last one on the ladies' side is Iga Svitek. I think that she that was a, just a hiccup when she lost to Kanja, but it was three sets. But here's another girl with a 120 and 34 record. She's 19 and she's played just three seasons. And she's won two titles already. So pay attention to that one. Now the men's side of things. Underdogs on the clay for the guys. Ugh, that's. Is there anybody, if Rafael Nadal wants to play in the tournament, is there anybody right now that's going to beat him on clay? No. No. I mean, that, was, right, that was proven last year at Roland Garros, wasn't it? I mean, everyone was talking about Dominic Team. He was going to be the big thing. Um, you know, he, he didn't even get close to beating Rafael Nadal. Um, it's happened the last few years. Teams played against Nadal, and it's it's been a schooling every time. I mean, maybe, maybe Novak Djokovic can beat him if he's, like, really up there, fully fit, not playing too many tournaments. He could give Nadal a game, but then Nadal's not playing many tournaments either, and he's going to be fully fit. And I think, like, the past... How many years has it been now? You know, it's 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 almost been what seventeen, eighteen years of of absolute dominance. He's he's won so many titles at Roland Garros that um, you know, we're 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 not even considering anyone else is going to win that or or any. It'll be different at the Masters tournaments because he's not going to care about that. You know, Rafael Nadal doesn't really care about how many times he wins Monte Carlo or or Rome or whatever, but uh. Certainly, at Roland Garros, it's it's just it's not looking like anyone else is going to win that. No, that's for sure. But there's a bunch of tournaments leading up to Roland Garros. If it ends up playing, who knows with this situation out there? But there are players that we think, or I think, we think probably, and we haven't talked about this yet, but we're going to do it now. You know who I think is going to have a tremendous clay court season? I think this kid from Russia, Karatsev, is going to come in there and do some damage on the dirt. I think he has the right type of game. And it's not like it was before, like, say, when Pete Sampras played, where servant volleyers had no shot because there aren't any servant volleyers. Now it's all about who's fitter and who can, who's playing more consistent at the time. And one person I'm looking for, and I kind of feel like he'll be plus money, is Karatsev. Well, he should be plus money, particularly against um, the higher seeds in, in the later rounds because he's just kind of announced himself on the scene. He's not really been the, the big ticket item for years. Um, so, 
you know, he's, he's been around a few months um, and made a statement in those few months. So I, I think he should still get a, a pretty good price on him. And we'll see how he goes on the clay. Well, that'll be interesting to see because he really just announced himself. But he's someone I like. I like Roberto Bautista Agut in the early rounds of clay court events as well. I like him in the later rounds of a smaller tournament, but a Grand Slam, I think he could probably get into the second week. Depending on his draw, you might even get him at plus money, and I think he's someone we should keep an eye on for the clay. You should keep an eye on him in all kinds of tournaments. You know, he's already shown this week that he's pretty good in the hard court as well. Uh, I, you know, maybe not Wimbledon, probably not going to suit him, but uh, yeah, I, I think like he's just a name that you, you should pick up on most weeks um he's capable of beating the top players too well that's just it he is and that's important but i haven't seen him slip up against too many uh lower ranked players or players he should beat that's another thing you want to look at especially on the men you know forget about this new tennis association those people playing in that event aren't interested in winning if they were they wouldn't be crying about not having enough money so I, any of those guys, scratch him, except for Novak Djokovic, because, well, he's Novak Djokovic and he's number one. These people are not a threat to him. So I would scratch all those guys off the list. But who else do I really like on clay? You know who I like on clay? And this is going to be a surprise to you, but I have a feeling that Matteo Berrettini knows a thing or two about playing on the dirt, being from Italy and all, and I think he may be somebody who could do some real damage, fly under the radar, hopefully, and make some cash. Well, he's not really on the radar at the minute. You know, he's not been, uh, let, let's just say he's not been red hot since the restart. He's He's been steady, but um, he's not really delivered. Um, so he's definitely going to be one that, that needs to... Uh, needs to put in a few performances and the switch to the clay court surface, you know, that's where he comes from, it, it probably favors his game a little bit more. So, yeah, it's going to be a big few months for him. Um, I'm, I'm going to throw one in there as well, and it, 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 this one will surprise people. But um, I think we're going to see a little bit more from Alexander Zverev on the clay, and I think he might even reach the semifinals at Roland Garros before getting taken out by a, a, a better clay court player. But I think he's um, another one who's underperformed a little bit uh, since the, the restart. He's uh, walking around with these silly sleeveless shirts on, uh, looking like uh, 2005 Rafael Nadal. He needs to go back to basics, and, and I think he, he might do that um, coming back into Europe where he's he's more comfortable on the, the European circuit. So I think Zverev's going to be someone that I'm going to take a look at to reach, at least reach a couple of semifinals. His ranking might dictate that, but I think Given the way he's been playing, you're going to start getting better prices on Zverev um, the next few weeks. And I think he's actually quite a competent clay court player. So hopefully there's a bit of cash in there for us. I hope so. There's not any men from the United States that I'm even remotely interested in as far as clay court goes. That's not an indictment against them. But, well, let's face it. It's been a very long time since an American won Roland Garros or any major clay court event for that matter that I can think of off the top of my head but let's see it's going to be strange to see who's going to be doing all this traveling too 
You know who could be decent is Pablo Andahar. You might make some money off him early. Feliciano Lopez, he's still good for a couple wins early on clay court events. You know, Fernando Verdasco has returned to the tour, and clay is his thing. Do you look at him as anything of a threat, or is he just an early-round moneymaker? Uh, Fernando Verdasco is just first on photo now. For me, I think his career is pretty much done. Um, I know it's harsh. You know, people don't want to say that about someone who was a former top 10 player. He's played in the the, the World Tour Finals. Um, he, he's had some big wins over Rafael Nadal and others. Um, I, and he's been a great player, but time catches up with everyone. And in tennis, time is a particularly brutal thing because one year you finish in the top 10 and next year you're in the top 30. And then after that, you're struggling to stay in the top 100. Um, that's how quickly the decline comes in tennis. And I just think, um, you know, Verdasco is a supremely fit guy. You've, you've, everyone's seen those photos of him. He, he's got that uh, physique and stuff, but that just doesn't tell the whole story of, of how fit you got to be. And uh, in tennis, it's a, it's a young person's game. And for Fernando Verdasco is one of a number of stars that we've watched over the last 15 years, who unfortunately is on the way down and, I think he, he's just there for the last payday before it's it's time for him to move into coaching or uh, punditry or, or whatever he's going to do. And, and, and I wouldn't be confident putting any of my money on Fernando Verdasco doing much more than maybe winning his opening round match here and there. I hear you there. Now, we've got two men's single semifinals at Miami. The first matchup today is at 1 p.m., and you're going to be able to pick this up because I'll have this out very quickly. Roberto Bautista Agut against Yannick Sinner. Who do you like in this one, Craig? Oh, man, I I, I really do like Sinner. I, I think he's a great player. I think he's he's going to be one for the future, and, and we're going to get on him before um, we, we lose the ability to, to take him as a, an underdog. Um, the fascinating thing about both of these semifinals is that the lower-ranked player in both semifinals holds a 1-0 record in the, the previous head-to-head. So um, Sinner played against Bartista a few weeks ago in Dubai on, on a, a really, really quick hard court, and he won in three sets. Um, can he repeat that here in Miami? You know what? I'm going to go the other way, and I'm going to say no. I think the experience of Bartista Agut the uh, the court pace in Miami, the, the the conditions in Miami are going to be more suited to what Bautista Agut likes to play than Sinner likes to play. It's going to be a little bit slower, and I think that's going to play into Bautista Agut, and I think he's going to win that one in three sets. You know, that's a good call. I like what Sinner has done. Sinner's one of our guys we talked about last year, and then we talked a little bit about this year. As an underdog possibility, obviously he's the underdog in this one. I don't know. I think Bautista Agut is one of those players who wants to make a move, who wants to put his name in the tennis books as someone who can compete on all surfaces. Sinner's just a young guy. You know, young guys make mistakes, and plus they get tired because these are big matches. I know that they don't have the number of fans that they usually do, but that's okay. Bautista Agut 
is playing really good, Craig. Really good. And I think that you have to take Batista Agut in this one. I would love to take Sinner. I think Sinner is going to be amazing. I'm looking forward to the hardcourt season if they have one. And if they do have one, it's pretty safe to say he'll be there. So I'm going to go with you on this one. I'm going to take Roberto Bautista Agut, but I think it's going to be straight sets, Craig. I, I don't think he's going to win in three. I think it's going to be straight sets. Sinner kind of looked a little tired there at the end of his match the other day, and I think that's a tough one. Now, tonight's match, this one here should be pretty good, I think. Andre Rublev and Hubert Hercax tee it off at 7 p.m. on Friday night. Who do you like here? Well, again, like Hercats actually holds a 1-0 lead. He won a, a match on the, the clay last year in Rome um, in three sets again. But uh, I, I'm not even going to touch Hercats. I'm, I'm all over Rublev. I really like Rublev. Um, I think he's one of those players that he sits there um, around about, I think he's eighth in the world rankings. And because Medvedev's another Russian player who's sort of number two in the world rankings at the minute, a lot of the focus comes off of Rublev, and, and, and not a lot of people talk about him. Um, he's only 23 years old. He's already, I think, he's 16-3 for the year already. Uh, he, he's just so good on the hardcore surface. And I, I actually think there's a, a really good chance of him taking the event here in Miami. He, he's such a, a good hardcore player. He, he plays such a big game. Um, I, I'm not going to be so high on him when we get into the clay court season, but... Um, I just really, really like this kid, Rublev. You're probably not going to get a great price on him today, but uh, I think if, if he comes up against Bautista Agut in the final, you, you'll certainly get a chance to cash in on him. And, and I just see him going all the way to the title here in Miami. That's possible. You know, we were high on him this year. We were high on him last year. He played well at the end of the season last year. You know, here's another guy. His career record is 148-92. and that means he wins against people he's supposed to. He made easy work out of Fusovic. Straight sets. Silic straight sets. Korda pushed him a little bit. Straight sets. He's only played... Every match he's played, straight sets. When you look at Herkax, Herkax has spent a lot of time on the court. His first round match he won in straight sets. His second round, straight sets. And then, the last, then he went three sets in his last two matches. A tiebreaker over Rayonic. And then he broke surf against Tsitsipas in the third set and defeated him in three. You know, but what I look at the most is his record. Overall, it's 56 and 60. You know, he's had close seasons. He's 8 and 5 this year, 15 and 13 the year previously, 25 24 the year before that, 7 11, 1 and 1. He was just getting started. He was a kid. But you know what? Rublev. Looks like he's another one who's ready to play the old Carpe Diem tennis. He's ready to seize the day. And I think that that's your play in this event tonight at 7 p.m. Now, Craig, we've got one more to go. One more to go. We've got the women's final, and that is going to be played probably Saturday, I heard. And it's between Ashley Barty and Bianca Andreescu. What do you like about this match? Well, I like the fact that they've never played each other before, as far as I'm aware. 
Um, there's no head head to head between them. A part of that's probably because Andrescu, she's pretty new on the scene. Um, then she obviously went after winning that U.S. Open. She uh, she suffered that um, injury, uh, you know, that kept her out for such a long time, and she's just come back from that injury. Um, so so this is kind of like a fresh matchup, I and mean, you've you've got two pretty similar players who have. Uh, good hardcourt game. Um, Bardi's been there and done it before here, and Andrescu, you know, she, she won the Open. What, what more can you ask for them to win the US Open as, as, a, um, as a marker to say what sort of quality you've got? Um, there's got, not going to be a lot in this. Um, it, it's it's going to be real tight, and for that reason, I'm just going to go on Andrescu. I, I think that she'll... Uh, She's on the comeback trail. I think the number nine ranking that she's got at the minute is um, pretty low. I, I think she's probably she's a top five player for me. Um, I've I just got this feeling after watching her uh, play against um, Soribes Tormo the other night that I just liked what I saw from her. She took out um, Sakari as well. In, in the semifinals, which I think like was a bit of a surprise because Sakari was playing such great tennis uh, taking out Osaka to get there. So I just have got this feeling that Andrescu's tough. She's um, she's not going to go away. She's, uh, she's, she's only 4-2 this season in singles, but as I say, she's just come back off that injury. She's got a, you know, a, a record of, I think it's 140-52 or something in, in singles. In her career, she's uh, she's as I say, she's tough. She's she's hard to beat. I, I think she's going to stick around. And I think she's going to win this one. That's a big call, and I, I don't see the lineup yet. But um, I would say that I like Andreescu. You know, she had an amazing. She's coming off an amazing twenty twenty season, and twenty nineteen also. She was forty eight and seven both those seasons. Her first season on the tour. She was forty three and seventeen, and only made ninety two thousand bucks. Now a season like that, but then those were challengers and satellites, also. You know, remember that these career records conclude those too. So what we have to look at is a girl coming back from an injury. She's played six matches and she's won four of those. Now when I look at Ashley Barty, I look like I look at a girl who loves to be out there competing. She claims, and I believe her that she won't be able to go home again until at least December because of her tennis. They won't let her back in the country. And that's a terrible thing, but that's how Australia is. It is what it is. But I tell you, this this Andreescu last night, she held, she held tough in that tiebreaker because Sakari, I thought she was going to dominate her. You know, usually when Sakari loses the second set, she wins the third. And I was thinking... This could be an amazing, amazing run. But she stopped her. Dead in her tracks, Craig. That takes a lot of balls to do that, especially when you are in that side of the draw in a big match in only your sixth match of the season. You know, that takes big, big balls to do that. So you know what? I'm with you. I like Andrescu. Barty, though, Barty, she's just playing. You know, she has fun. She's doing her thing. She's been pretty good. You know, 2020, she was 11 and 3, 57 and 13 in 2019, 
This is a girl who's won 260 matches and lost 96. And she's the world-ranked player. I'm going with Andreescu. I questioned her fitness before this event, but I don't think her fitness is in question now. And I think we're going to go with Bianca Andreescu to win this event, Craig. Yeah, I mean, she's only 20 years old as well. I mean, when you look at her Grand Slam record, she's never been beyond the second round at any slam apart from the Open, which she won. But, like, you know, she's she's so young. Um, she's just arriving on the tour. A lot of people don't really know what she's capable of. I and mean, when I saw her against um, Tormo the other night, it, it was just the way she battled. Like, for a while, she looked like she was getting outrun and outfought by Tormo and you know, she could have easily lost that game in the third set when Tomo leveled up at the end of the second. But um, she's got all the shot making as well. There's, there's a lot of signs that she could play all the shots. Like Andrescu was quite happy to slice. She was happy to play drop shots. She was happy to come into the net and try to volley. And I thought there's a lot of, like watching Osaka here. And I, I actually think if, if they invest in her, that she could be one of the next stars of WTA Tour. 20 years old, she's already won the US Open, she plays a big game, and I think like you're going to get a good price here. So for me, I, I'm going to be on uh, Andrescu to win this one. Oh, I think so too. Now, when you say get behind her, who is they? Is that the WTA or, or her Canada Tennis Association, the Canadian Tennis Association? Who needs to get behind her? Um, I, I guess the WTA in particular, like I just don't like the way the WTA brand things. I don't like their website. I think it's difficult to, to get around. I think it doesn't really promote the stars. I think we're at the stage where you, you, you can't really promote Serena Williams anymore other than in a legends capacity. You need to start, you know, finding these stars who are winning matches, who are winning tournaments and, and making them the poster girl for... Um, WTA events, you're going to have to start selling tickets based on that when we, we get to the stage that tournaments are, are fully open again. And you've, you've got a Saka, you can put a Saka's face on, on posters wherever and people are going to know who she is and they're going to come to your tennis event. And I think like Andrescu is another one of those and she's going to have to start appearing on the poster with a Thacker. Um, you know, Andrescu's in town, come down, see this top class player. She, she's worth paying the price of admission for. I think that's where the WTA needs to go in the next few years is to start developing these young talents, making their faces visible to people and bringing people down to these smaller events where they're playing because right now they don't have the stars other than Osako um, to do that. And I, I'm pretty sure that that's where they're going to go. And Jescu, she's she's coming back into form again after that injury and, and I think we're going to see this girl's face everywhere in the next couple of years. I think you're right. Great stuff today, my friend. As always, we'll see you next week. Absolutely. I look forward to the uh, start of the clay court season. As will I. As do I. Anyway, for Craig Doyle, I'm Phil Nasons. We've got so much to offer you every week on this show. We are printing money. You should be listening and printing money also. Don't hit me up in my inbox for picks. I'm not going to give them to you. I just did. We just did. We put work into this. So bottom line is... Don't hit us up for picks. See you next week on This Week in Tennis. This Week in Tennis.